when you suggest a topic of a forum, usually it happens that you end up doing it. And uh, this time it was done under a short time and pressure. But we think it's very important to talk about this topic uh, as the way the society is heading, there is less and less support to the family from the society and we depend more and more on family relationship. Family importance becomes more and more. Slide. Okay, let's start with a prayer, Brother Gary. Sure, let's about to pray. Father, we thank you that you are the grand designer of the family and that we have been the benefactors of it. And as we learn, Lord, how to become uh, more functional, to become more effective in our families, Lord, we pray that for your blessing, pray through your Holy Spirit that you would teach us through the wisdom um, of your word as well as through uh, Brother Eckhart and Sister Margaret and as we would share from our experiences. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about why there's the need to address this topic, the purpose of the Christian family, the qualities of a strong, effective family, and how a strong, effective family functions. And to make this more relevant, we have structured it, uh, including a panel. We have here brother Mike and sister uh, Svetlana, and we have here brother Gary and Sister Darlene, and Brother Joe, and Sister Lori. They're going to participate by us asking them some questions, and they're going to, from their own experience with their family, answer them as best as they can. Slide. Anybody reading the Bible has to come to the conclusion that it's quite evident that the structure of the family, the way God has designed it, is very important, very important, very relevant. It's central to God's design for mankind. In the beginning, when God created man and woman in his own image, he planned the family to have fellowship with him and to procreate. Slide. After the fall, the man threw sin God confirms the structure of the family and plans the family line through which the Savior will come to redeem mankind. In the judgment of Noah's flood, only one family escaped the judgment because the rest have, had corrupted themselves with ungodly marriages. Slide. In the law of Moses, God formalizes the responsibilities within a family. Already in the Ten Commandments, the first law relating to relationship among humans is the one of children honoring their parents. That's how important God saw this already. God declares his name to Moses on the mount and tells how our relationship with him will affect future generations of our children. The parents are charged with teaching their children, not the church, not Sunday school, nobody else, 
They can help, but their responsibility is to the parents. They're charged with teaching their children. And how serious that is, in the law, rebellion or cursing parents by the children, it was punishable by death. And that was confirmed by Jesus Christ. That's what the law said. Slide. The Old Testament ends with a threat of a curse and the admonition of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. And the New Testament starts with the same charge. And we read in Ephesians that the family is a picture of the mystery of Christ, the church, and her children. Certainly we must conclude that family, families in the sight of God are very important, especially in this time that we live in. Slide. We all are aware that even the family structure is being under attack in the society that we live in. Even the definition of a family is being challenged. And in our culture, there's so much emphasis on personal happiness above happiness above everything else. And sad to say that young people starting out to form a family today often lack models for healthy relationships. And there's a much need of that, and they should find it in the church. Slide. The purpose of the Christian family is to be a witness of the grace of God to the world, to pass on his truth to following generations, to serve others in the family, the church, and society. Where there is a functioning Christian family, it's such a strong witness of the word of God lived out. People that... Even those that don't believe in God, when they see a Christian family functioning right, it makes an impression upon them. They cannot deny it. And questions will follow. And there can be an effective witness thus. Even the family is used as the training ground of future leaders in the church. It's a requirement in in the Bible that those that are called to leadership first function well in their own family. If that's not the case, they will not be able to function well in leading the church. Slide. Why did God choose the concept of a family? The family, evidently, is one of the biggest influences in our lives. Right at the beginning, when you see these little babes with their moms walking around and their need, the closeness, the joy they bring. And they learn from an early age, not that they understand, but they feel it, that they're loved. The family lays the foundation of our moral and spiritual values and even of our conscience. It is all molded initially in the family. Our character and our belief are all formed within the family. Who we are and what we become is often determined by our family of origin. And if children have recognized where they belong, to what family they belong, and have adopted identity, they are more immune 
to the pressures of this world to try to adapt them and be accepted by them. Slide. Margaret is going to now explain some relationships here. This is just a, a, a diagram that helps us, I guess, um, understand a little bit more what our purpose is as an individual, and we also brought the family into this concept. First of all, we all believe and know that there is a trinity. We call it the heavenly trinity. And if you look down towards the bottom of the slide, at, at the base, the middle point of the triangle, you see the word me. When we develop a relationship with God vertically, then we also form a trinity on this earth, and I'd like to refer to it as the earthly trinity. The Holy Spirit and Jesus and ourselves are involved in that. And then God, in his wisdom, put us into families, and we have a two-fold mandate. One is service, and one is witness. Service often comes first within our families and then in the church family, and that whole area there is built up of families, and as they subdivide, they become smaller and smaller and more families as the world increases in number. On this side is the world side, or the society side, and again, the families are all in there. So God included, or put all of that into effect, and that really shows us in just a visual what our purpose is and what the purpose of the family is. This slide, unfortunately, our slides have come out a little bit darker, but this is going to be a little sharing session that we've asked our couples to do. We've asked them to just kind of give us just a little synopsis of what are the guiding principles of their family, what were the important rules, what were the goals, and if they could have a descriptive phrase of their family. So we'll start with Mike and Svetlana first. You got the mic. Who are the Nechikovs? Well, in a few words, we love to have fun. But sometimes life gets in the way of our fun. So what do we do to maximize our fun together? We are organized, or we try to be organized. We're simple and we're effective. We have a place for everything in our home. And we have responsibilities delegated to each one that belongs to our family. One of the main things that we've instilled in our family is the principles that are outlined in the scriptures, and we call those our family values. They are, first and foremost, love God. Love and be loyal to your family. Work hard. Tell the truth. Be kind. At the bottom of our family value that we have posted um, by the garage door as we all leave, our goal is heaven and to serve God together forever. One thing that we've done with our children is that we've always told them that if you tell the truth, you have nothing to fear because fear is a tactic of Satan and it can really destroy a family and really damage a relationship so when you eliminate the fear which generally is accompanied with sin where a child will not confess their sin or not be truthful of what of the whole truth it seems to hinder the relationship in the family. 
So I'll pass some words on to First Svetlana to share. Um, there's one verse in the Bible that has impacted our parenting style more than any other, and that verse is, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Um, we have four children. One is still unconverted. Uh, the thought of him being eternally separated from God brings a holy terror upon us like nothing else. It's because of that verse that we try to make a point to bring God into every situation that arises. Every good and bad thing that happens is in God's control, and leaning on Him is what brings us security. That's how God has impacted our hearts to parent our, these four precious beings. I mean, if we can't persuade our kids, then nothing else matters. So we've summed up some of these in what we'll call our family mission statement. It's very short. Um, to always be kind, respectful, and supportive of each other, to be honest and open with each other, to love learning about God and his creation. And I want to just uh, touch a little bit on that point. Um, Darlene felt very convicted to homeschool our children, and uh, she does a fantastic job at doing that. And what we really noticed is that uh, life then, in general, becomes the schoolyard. And uh, we, when we're going on trips, when we're um, um, you know learning ab- about... Um, just everyday life about God's creation, about relationships, everything becomes uh, the ability to uh, to teach a lesson. And it also instilled in our hearts a new love for learning, not just about you know creation, the physical things we see, but also as we have our family devotion time, um, it's just such a blessing to be able to do that. To love each other unconditionally, to endeavor to live a joyful, healthy, and fulfilling life, and to make our house a place where everyone wants to come home to. When we were asked to describe our family in just a few words, we thought we'd let you listen in on a recent family gathering and let you decide. Cacophony? Frenetic? Chaos? Uh, Seriously, that's all true. (laughs) But um, the words we would use to describe our family are committed, active, and open. Committed. If we commit ourselves to something, we take the commitment seriously and try to carry it through to the best of our ability, whether it's a commitment to God, church, work, or the community. And if we can't fulfill the responsibilities, we try not to commit. Active. We try not to sit and watch life happen, but rather be part of making it happen. And open. In order to be salt and light to this world, effective in our church, we knew that we had to open our family to those around us as well as our brethren, and God has blessed us immeasurably by the relationships we formed. You know, in preparation for this time right now, uh, Lori thought she'd ask the children, what do you think our family priorities are? And they came back with words like um, God, Bible, church, and as much as I really never sat down and wrote out a family um, goal or a family you know, mission statement, um, there were four verses that really worked in my life as I was growing up that I've adopted. And I'll just read those to you. Or not the verses, I'll, I'll summarize them and tell you the verses. 
Uh, number one was to be men and women after God's own heart. That's Acts 13.22. To study to show ourselves approved unto God. 2 Timothy 2.15, of course. To be men and women beloved of God. Daniel 9.23 and other places. And to behave ourselves wisely. That's 1 Samuel 18.14. Uh, though I never did really write out that mission statement, um, this is how we tried to live our life. And that was my prayer for each of the children as they uh, were born. And we just tried to live up. And as it says in Deuteronomy 6, uh, we tried to live those when we sat by the way, when we walked, when we lied down, when we rose up in the morning. When we started to prepare for this forum, I'm always one who's looking for books because you do need resources. As I said, uh, every forum should educate, inspire, and motivate. And so uh, I went to my overloaded shelf, <laughs> bookshelf, and I found just the book that I needed. It's called Fantastic Families, and it's uh, written by Dr. Nick and Nancy Stinnett and Joe and Alice Beam. And what they did was, uh, it was a process, a research uh, project that took 25 years, was worldwide, and it involved 14,000 families. And they developed uh, some surveys, and we'll have it as an extra PDF file that goes with our PowerPoint, uh, that if you want to use it with your own family, I think all of us have probably done it, the panel included with our own families, just to see where our strengths were and where we need to still grow. And um, it was interesting, what they found out from this research were that these six qualities that are listed on our slide, and I'll read them for the recording, Communication through service, appreciation and affection for each other, positive communication, spending time together, nurturing spiritual well-being, ability to cope with stress and crisis. In every family that they identified as a strong, well-functioning family, these were the six qualities that they, were, they observed. And so for the basis of our forum, the time is running by and I hope to get through all of it, but for the basis of our forum, we took these qualities, made up some questions to go along with them, and we'll just highlight a few of the points and then ask the, the panel to address some of the questions that pertain to each of these topics. First one is the commitment through service to the family, church, and society. This is a kind of a special kind of love that's steady, sure, it's not subject to mood swings or, or passage of time or years or hard times. It's a conscious love, unconditional, and it really describes the kind of love that God commanded us to give him. And the other component of it was the service. And that begins first by serving each other in the family and then branching out beyond. Uh, it gives you a joy and a feeling of doing something genuinely good. And the most important thing is, by serving others, we become that godly witness to the world. Okay, <clears throat> this question goes to, to Mike and Svetlana. I'll repeat the question for the sake of recording. How does your family show commitment to each other? Give some examples. How does your family serve others? What do you do to encourage your children to get involved in church work? Mike and Svetlana. Um, we see commitment in we see commitment and service as a hierarchy. Um, let me explain. We um, are committed to God individually. We're committed to each other. Uh, we're committed to our children, uh, then our church, and the outside community. It's our mission, and it's, we see it as our, the Great Commission. 
Um, if any of these relationships are hindered, then our witness to the outside world is compromised. Service and commitment go hand in hand because when you're committed to something, you automatically are actively doing and serving. It's action is required on your part. How do we model that to our children? We, we model it with our attendance to church. Um, that was never a question. Um, Sundays and midweek services, CFGs, choirs. We encouraged them to attend all of them if they could. We also um, branched out and um, started to attend Bible class to lead our children to God's Word, which then will allow them to be able to see for themselves how it impacts their lives and the real. Also, we've done, we've helped out in certain ministries, um, after-school programs, where, we, where we're dealing with less fortunate children that are growing up in dysfunctional families, where we exposed our children to that environment where they would see how good they have it and how blessed they are to be in a God-fearing and God-loving family. And it just shows that God's love can be poured abroad to all those, even despite our weakness and the frailty of our flesh, even though we sometimes don't want to do it, we can see how much the others benefit from that commitment and service. The second quality is appreciation and affection. And you know, everybody in this world needs to feel appreciated. It's one of the most important human needs. <clears throat> we all want to be valued for who we are and what we do. Uh, and Appreciation and affection increases our self-esteem. Now, how do you do that? Well, how do you cultivate that? Well, you look for the good in others. You affirm your children verbally. You expect children to be affectionate and appreciative, and you encourage it and gracefully accept it. You share humor and playfulness, as was already mentioned in some of the families. These questions uh, are addressed to Gary and Darlene. Can appreciation and affection be taught? How is it accomplished in your family? So we believe, yes, appreciation and affection can be taught. Um, we, have, uh, our, we have five children. They're all eight years and under. And so this is, um, in some ways, I would wish maybe one of the... Uh, parents that have older children, because I think it gets more challenging as they get older. In our age group right now, we find it very easy to uh, show affection, and I'm finding now as my older two girls, I've often verbally expressed my affection to them, you know, we love you very much, uh, you know, we you know God has made you very special, etc. Now every once in a while, my oldest one says, you know, rolls her eyes, I know dad, and you know, I'm sure I'll have to change my tactics, I'll be looking at, uh, <laughs> for some other experience to change as they grow older how to express that affection. I find it comes much more naturally to me to express it at that age group. Um, as far as, uh, uh, a, a pre and, and, and then also just as Sister Margaret shared, just throughout the daily activities to be able to show appreciation for things that they've done and also teach them to show appreciation for things that, uh, that uh, have been done on their behalf. Um, so some of the very simple things as far as appreciation, I think that one of the lessons as I was growing up, of course, I was very blessed to be raised in a um, functional family, um, a, a very godly family. 
And one of the lessons that stands out to me today is when my parents taught me um, the value of something. And uh, so there came a time where I had to spend my own money to buy my bike, to buy my shoes, to buy my things, as opposed to just everything being given to me. And suddenly I didn't leave my bike out in the rain anymore because I realized how long I had to work for that money. Um, and so it gave me a whole different level of appreciation for the things uh, and, and it's sort of this ownership of what that meant. And then when somebody did some service to me, it was much more heartfelt appreciation. And so we're trying to also model that in our kids to take more and more responsibility as they get older um, so that they understand that life is, doesn't revolve around them. We're not there to serve them everything hand in mouth, that they need to also participate in the simple things like setting the table, cleaning up after themselves, expressing appreciation to Darlene, you know, after the meal is done, thank you, mom, I really enjoyed the meal, um, yeah, emptying out the dishwasher, all those simple household tasks and as they get older, we'll have to become more creative. And thankfully, we have lots of wonderful family examples that we can learn from others um, for how we'll be able to do that once they get to that age. Um, the other thing is often modeling that between ourselves. Uh, so Darlene is very natural at that to express appreciation for the things that I do and that she doesn't do that just to impress the kids, but she means it from her heart and they start picking that up as well. And... Uh, then uh, our family time in the evening, there's a lot of time of togetherness. We usually have a story time. We go through a novel. We like to pick uh, missionary stories or other stories of historical significance as we read it. They're really interested in that. There's a lot of togetherness, a lot of affection that's shared as they want to sit on our lap. And, and often when we go through our highlights of the day, even though we may have, you know, done something, you know, let's all use the term expensive. We went to some, you know, not a theme park. They're not old enough for that, but something of that nature they'll forget about that. They'll say, oh, you know, our highlight today was our family time tonight. And it's like, wow, that's really simple, but it's really meaningful to them. And, uh, and we love that. So uh, I also am a natural touch person, so I love to hug them and, you know, provide my affection to them. It doesn't come as naturally to Darlene, so she has to think about that during the day. And she also has to remind me not to smother the kids either. So, uh, you know, helps keeps us in balance. The next quality that we want to talk about is positive communication. This is vital to understand each other, and it also makes you feel loved and important to the other person. Uh, if we express thoughts and emotions, it's, it uh, leads to better health. It provides a way to share positive emotions without building up of anger or bitterness. And being able to share the ideas and thoughts promotes seeing things from a different perspective. And true interactive communication gives each family member a good sense of acceptance and self-worth. Now, good communication involves, you have, you have to do some certain things to, to bring that about. It just doesn't happen by itself. So planning a certain time each day for the entire family to be together to talk. And when you communicate, don't just communicate about problems or worries. Talk about matters of interest to every member of the family. Communication involves not only talking, but listening. And listening strengthens relationships because it conveys the message that you care and respect the other person. On the other hand, criticizing or evaluating or acting superior inhibits good communication. So you need to be honest and open, not manipulative, not bullying, blaming, dominating, or controlling. This question is for Brother Mike and Sister Svetlana. How do you promote good communication in your home? Give some examples of things that have worked in your family. 
Positive communication is, is challenging. When our children were younger, we have four children, um, ranging from 22, 20, 18, and we have an eight-year-old. So when our first bunch, the first uh, three, when they were all together, communication was really difficult. They all wanted your attention, and they were all grabbing your face and directing eye contact so that you would, they would have your undivided attention. As they got older, um, they just started to talk over each other, and so we had to teach them that you wait your turn, and, you, and we have to listen to everybody's problems or concerns or, or expressions of joy. So it, it, as, the, as the years evolved, the communication started to get easier. Then came the cell phone, texting. So that, that was a big issue in our family. Um, I never grew up with a cell phone. I didn't have, I, if I wanted to talk to somebody, I'd talk to them face to face, eye to eye, or picked up the phone. So that was a learning curve for our family of communication. How do we tackle that? How do we work with that? Our dinner time was a special time because I sometimes worked late. And so if I was home in time for dinner, it was our time to share and just talk about our day's events. All cell phones were left on the counter. Um, Telephone calls that would come in were just left to go to voicemail so that we, we would not be interrupted. Um, as the kids started their university and they started to be more independent, I told them that texting and BBMing and all this is good. Those are good technologies that we've been granted in this century, but I want them to start to use it for God. And the way I uh, encourage them is when you're down and you need some prayer, reach out to me, send me a text. Hey, Dad, I'm having a difficult time. Can you pray for me? And be specific what you want me to pray for at that moment. Um, and God always opened up the time that I would come just when I could spend that time in prayer for my child. Especially as they were growing up, I'm backtracking a little bit, jumping around when they were little. They always come at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to your bedside and you're sound asleep and you got these eyes peering at you and you're like, that was confession time. They always came and confessed. But I never mind. I always took them back to their room, spent the time with them, and always ended with a prayer and encouraging them and reassuring them that God has forgiven them for the sin that they've committed. So I really enjoy the communication part with our children, um, even though they are... In, up in age, and we have Samuel who's eight years old. It's very important, positive communication. I, I just encourage each one of us to make sure that we use what we, the resources that we have at hand to communicate to them. And that would be one question. Were the cell phones turned off or were they They were still on, but we just chose to ignore they them. Silent. They were on silent or. <laughs> You could hear it vibrating, yeah. And I, I'm, even to this day, if I'm in a meeting with somebody and my phone is vibrating, I will, I'm talking to you. I'm going to give you my attention. Face-to-face Face to face is more important. They can wait. Thank you. Thank you. The fourth, time, uh, the fourth uh, quality, rather, is spending time together. Some of this has already been addressed in some of the answers that they've given, but we really uh, need to provide a family identity where relationships can be nurtured and memories made. Shared family times lead to good communication, and it's an antidote for isolation and loneliness. 
And I like the way that Mike and Svetlana related that to the children in those moments when they are lonely, when they need you, that they, you, you're able to spend that time with them. Next question is going to be addressed to Brother Joe and Sister Lori and a personal opportunity to observe a very busy family. And I think they can give us some good tips how, <clears throat> how to build family time in your life and give some examples of what has worked in your family. You know, I liked how Brother Eckhart and uh, Sister Margaret had worded that, how to build family time into your life. Um, that sounds, it starts, it's a foundation, it's a starting point. You're not adding it to your life. It's not a remodel where you're just kind of patching it. You're, you're starting at the very core. You're building it in. Uh, so you have to start with family, and then you add the other things. Um, you, add, you need to add things that, there are two things that you're going to add. You're going to add things that bind together or things that disperse. And if you've ever looked um, as in some of the children's experiments where um, they, they have you take a, a dish and fill it with water, and then you put pepper on it, and then it kind of peppers the whole area, and then you take the very smallest drop of detergent, and boom, it all goes to the edge, okay? That's a dispersant. So what we need to do is be very uh, liberal with those things that bind and be very, very sparing which is of those things that disperse in our families. And I'll just give you an example. Um, in general, I'm not a very social person, and so when lots of things are going on in the house, sometimes I need to find a quiet place to be alone. And for the longest time, that was out in the garage. And I had a chair out in the garage, and that was just a place for me to just kind of go and sit out in the garage in my chair. Uh, but after a while, I found that there were people sitting in my chair. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I wanted to kick them out of my chair, but no, I, you know, we got another chair. So that's a binding thing, right? We got two chairs out there. Maybe we should have three or four now. Uh, so that's one thing, getting an extra chair. Uh, projects, activities, hiking, biking, baseball, frisbee, all those things are things that bind together, things that disperse. Um, you know, let me just read uh, the definitions here. Binding, the, to bind, to tire, to fasten together tightly, to hold together, secure, make fast, um, to encircle by something, typically metal bands, in order to strengthen it, like an old oak chest bound with brass, okay? That's binding. Dispersant is added to a suspension to improve the separation of particles. We don't want to improve the separation. So things that separate or disperse, TV, iPad, video games, cell phones, texting, TV, iPad, video games, okay? Uh, be very sparing, as uh, the others have said, with those dispersants. Use lots of binders. This one, I think, is the, by far the far most important one, especially as a Christian family. Nurturing spiritual well-being. A belief in God gives purpose or meaning to life by providing guidelines for living. And just knowing that God is there, watching, caring, loving, guiding, makes life easier. Spiritual history and heritage provides good models for character development and a sense of belonging to a larger group. Again, Brother Joe and Sister Laurie, 
<clears throat> do you have any spiritual goals for your family or children? Do you have a plan of implementation? Explain. What are some spiritual values that you encourage in your family? Well, I had asked Sister Leona Freund to come and help me with this with a spiritual analogy. She's a charter member of the Crocheting for a Cause Club here at camp, and she, I forgot to tell her where it was at, and so she's actually crocheting, which is what I wanted her to do here. So anyhow, you're going to have to use your imagination here, okay? Our greatest spiritual, Christ was, our spirit, our greatest spiritual goal for our children, obviously, is to know Christ and to keep his commandments. And so we began to build them spiritually, one stitch at a time. And this is where she was to be going to be crocheting a chain, okay? And imagine each stitch that she's crocheting. We would read God's word daily, individually as a family, pray together as a family, memorize countless verses, attend the church services, morning, afternoon, singing, closing thought, and imagine this crocheted chain getting longer and longer. The monthly big sings with pajamas in tow, midweek Bible study, fellowshipping with churches of our denomination camp, and our spiritual chain was growing. We included children in service projects, visiting Aunt Sue in the nursing home, going to Takati VBS, hosting unbelieving families. Uh, and witnessing to them, training our children day in and day out. Whatever God brought our way, we would examine it through the light of God's word and try to live the Christian walk ourselves. And you can imagine this chain of crochet stitch getting longer and longer. But there were times that we made decisions that unraveled the work that we so diligently started. If we say things like, that minister sure needed an energy drink, his sermon put me to sleep, a stitch unravels. When we watched that video that was so funny, except for that one bedroom scene with an unmarried couple, we've unraveled the work we've done. We listened to that song with a contradicting message. It even might be a cute children's song like, there you see her sitting across the way, you don't got a lot to say, but there's something about her and you don't know why, but you're dying to try, you want to kiss the girl. Do I really? This is from The Little Mermaid, by the way. Do I really want my son to kiss the girl when we just memorized the verse that said, flee youthful lust? When we snap at our spouse, when we don't explain the whys behind our rules, when we skip afternoon services for a soccer game or piano recital, our work unravels. The reason I asked Sister Leona to come was I was going to originally crochet this strand for you, but I tried, uh, and I was all thumbs, and I just was, in, I was frustrated, and I said, Sister Leona, can you just come and do it for me, because I don't have time to learn to crochet here at camp, and that's another great analogy, because if you feel that your family has, is unraveling, God is so merciful and gracious, and he is there, ready to take the crochet hook from our hands when we don't know what to do, and if we're willing to repent and hand the hook over to him, he can help us start to rebuild our families again. I found this one an interesting point that they included as a, as a uh, quality for a strong family, but when you begin to think about it, it's very essential, it's very important. How to, and the ability to cope with stress and crisis, because this is often the point where families fall apart. So here are some strategies for surviving a crisis. See the roses among the thorns. Pull together. Go get help. Use spiritual resources. Open channels of communication. Go with the flow. Strong families have discovered some important insights that have helped them in dealing with stress. And here are some tactics for coping with the stress. Keep things in perspective. Let go and let God. Focus on something bigger than self. 
humor yourself, take one step at a time, and then refresh and restore. I can tell I get the black slides. <laughs> this is for Brother Mike, uh, Mike and Sister Svetlana. How do your family cope with stress, situ stressful situations? What advice would you give to other families? Have you ever had to deal with a family crisis? What family attributes sustained you the most? It seems in the past years, probably in the past five years, we've had a lot of stresses in our family. Um, aging parents, uh, parents, Svetlana's parents have now passed on to their reward. And um, just dealing with those issues of life of old aging parents was a lot of stress on us because it took away time from our family. We felt like we were being robbed of our family time, but yet we still had the obligation to take care of our aging parents that needed us. Um, we always tried to include our children um, in every situation as much as we could. We tried to shelter them from sometimes the, the, the core or the, the cause of the stress that's coming, but we would always like to keep them involved and in letting them come and visit and be active with us while we minister to the needs. We also um, prayed a lot. They saw Svetlana and I praying many times, just standing at the kitchen sink, praying. Many times we've included them in our prayer time and asked them to help us with this situation, and we needed to hear what God has been leading in their lives to help us. Um, we also spent time, I spent a lot of time sharing God's word with them. Um, sometimes I didn't know the answer, how we were going to deal with this situation, um, placing Svetlana's mom in a nursing home when you can't help anymore and you tried and you have to do that and you know that that's really, really not the place that you want her to be. But for her safety, we had to do that. And that was a lot of, her, a lot of pain. And, and then the passing of them. And now with my parents and their old age and the different circumstances that are coming up, I just tell the children all the time and Svetlana, I just say that we have to look to God for our strength. And we need to look for him, to him, for guidance. Because sometimes we just don't know the answer. We don't know what tomorrow brings, but we know what today is. And that's the importance, that we focus on today. We break down the stresses. We break down the crisis individually. And, and sometimes we can assign it to different family members to help us with that. And um, that way they feel involved, we feel involved, and we get the task accomplished. And God's glorified. Now, we've talked about the six qualities that were present in these strong families. How does a family acquire those qualities? And how, do, how, do the, how does a, func a family function? So here are five things that, uh, there's a, a book by uh, Gary Chapman. He's the author of The Five Love Languages. And he wrote a book called uh, How to Have an Effective Family. And these are some of the points that he brought out, which I think are very important. And it's interesting that the first one he put on his list was families who serve. And that was one of the first qualities that we found in the strong families. Husbands and wives who relate intimately and encourage closeness. Parents who guide by modeling, training, and teaching. Children who obey and honor parents. Husbands who love and lead. And encouraging wives who submit. 
The first one is, well, we'll skip the first one, which was the um, commitment, because we've already dealt with it. Uh, so we're going to the second point, which is relating closely uh, and encouraging, relating intimately and encouraging closeness. Uh, intimacy or closeness can be experienced in five, five different levels, in the intellectual level, the emotional level, the social level, the spiritual and the physical level. Intellectual level, I think these are fairly well understood, but for the sake of the recording, um, you're sharing your thoughts. Emotional, you're sharing your feelings in an atmosphere of acceptance, not condemnation or shame. Social, these are times when you're spending together around the events of life. And it's really important if in your family, individuals are experiencing different things, that things that have taken place outside of the family, that they, you, you bring them back and share them with the family. That helps to maintain strong family connections. Spiritual, the common beliefs which are upheld by the whole family. Now, if, those, if there's communication on those four levels, if there's closeness, then your physical closeness is, is going to be there. Hmm, you haven't assigned this. Oh, for yeah, Brother Jones, Sister Laurie. <clears throat> Address to Brother Jones, Sister Laurie. What things do you as a father and or mother to encourage closeness and intimacy in your family? How do you meet the unique need of each one of your children? How do you... It's different here. That's it. Can someone tell me what this is? Shout it out. Yes, if you're Serbian. This is palachinka, although mine are a lot bigger than this. I bought extra size uh, palachinka pans because I thought it would fry faster that way. You know, if they're larger, I don't have to make quite as many. I brought the palachinka pan because I was frying palachinka one day, and I flipped one too early, and it fell apart as it hit the griddle. I noticed one of the boys passing by, and I said, Hey, Timothy, I made a mistake. Do you want it? His eyes lit up. And he ate the mistake, and they just sort of sat there. And I kept frying, and he started chatting. And I don't even remember what we talked about. It could have been his latest project in the garage. It could have been some theological discussion. And I made another mistake. His eyes lit up. He ate it. And you know, he stayed with me that whole time. I did make a few mistakes on purpose afterward, just to kind of keep him there. But... The fact is we had a chance to learn to know one another a little more intimately during that time. So, the Paula Chinka principles to intimacy. Intimacy requires time. Don't overbook your lives so that you don't just have time to be with your children. Intimacy requires listening. Too often we talk too much as parents, and I am guilty of this, and don't take time to just listen, especially when the child reveals something that we don't approve of. If we allow, like we said before, electronic devices at the table, pop a movie, uh, pop a movie, movie into the car video system, we'll lose valuable time and moments for interaction with our family. But if we don't substitute positive family time and we just take away things, they can become angry. Keep your ears open. If you listen to the discussions that are going on between siblings and friends, you get a lot of perspective on what your, the feelings are and the um, opinions are of your children, and it can help you handle things later on. Intimacy cannot be forced. 
Multitasking while you talk can help foster intimacy. It seems easier for a child to talk and open up when you're both doing something that don't require, doesn't require a lot of uh, attention, like taking a walk or driving in the car. Some of our children relate better to dad than mom, and vice versa. Now, I had a little trouble with that fact, but I started to learn that it was a blessing that there was at least one of us with whom the child felt comfortable sharing. And intimacy requires that we be proactive. If time has passed and we haven't shared with a certain child, we need to just make time to be with that child in a way that will allow him to open up. So remember the Palachinka principles. Intimacy requires time. Intimacy requires listening. Intimacy cannot be forced, and it requires that we be proactive. So go fry some Palachinkas. The third point that we had was parental guidance through modeling, teaching, and training. And I just wanted to put this slide in because I think it's so important. So often we quote the last part of this Deuteronomy uh, verses, Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 7. It says, teach the word diligently to your children at all times, like, like the walking by the wayside, when you're sitting in the house, when all those things. But so often the first two verses are neglected. The first one, Deuteronomy 6, 5, says, love God with your heart, soul, and mind. If you don't have a personal relationship with God that's working the rest of those verses aren't going to apply. Then the second verse says, God's word must be in our hearts. If we haven't hidden God's word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him, how can we be the role model that we need to be? And then we can do the third part of it, which is the teaching part of it. And all three of these things, the living, the modeling, the teaching, must be present in order to teach children according to God's word. I'll go on a little bit and explain a little bit more of this modeling, training, and teaching. The modeling, of course, is the first um, way that children learn by what they see. And primarily, you are their first uh, role model. Training, that's explaining and showing them how. And then comes the instruction part of it. Now, we need to encourage them. It's important. And the words that you say to your children will live in their minds long after you have forgotten them as a parent. And if their correction is needed, you must correct out of love, not out of anger. And an explanation is needed to be given for the correction. Children need to be affirmed for who they are and not what they're capable of doing. This is to Brother Joe and Sister Lori. How do you teach your children respect and responsibility? of adults, church leadership, and property of others, especially that last one. Okay. Um, As I pondered upon this, there were two phrases that I thought of, and the first one is, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught, and also you reap what you sow. I know... When I look at my children, um, and when I look at all the different personalities and things that they are and uh, do, I see that there are many things. Usually the things that I really dislike the most are amplifications of me in some way, shape, or form. Okay, Dad is a little bit this way. They're a lot this way. And this is, this is why I think God had the parent-child relationship, because uh, parents need to be perfected. And in looking at their children, they can see just how bad they really are. Okay. So um, 
1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That's a very bold statement. It was used in our mentoring forum this morning. Be followers of me, Paul says, even as I also am of Christ. We need to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to be respectful to those in leadership. I'm not just talking about church leadership. I'm talking about our government. Um, you know, we can't be rolling our eyes at one thing and then expect our children never to roll their eyes when we ask them as someone in authority to do things also. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything, that there, there are other issues to, to go there, but really the children will model what we are and what we do. So I think the best thing that you can do is if you can respect, if you as parents can respect each other, respect the authorities that we're under, either at work or at church or in government institutions, um, even the, the traffic laws. I know that the ones that maybe I don't exactly keep, my children show me that they are just, you know, how far I've gone. They just go that little bit further. So um, more is caught than taught, and you will reap what you sow. The fourth point, children who obey and honor parents. Obedience is taught and therefore must be learned. And obedient behavior brings positive consequences and disobedient behavior, of course, negative consequences. There are three things that we need to consider when we're teaching obedience. We have to set rules, we have to set consequences, good or bad, and we need to administer discipline. And rules should have four characteristics. They should be intentional, something that has been given considerable thought. They need to be mutual input of the father and the mother. They need to be reasonable, serving some positive function. And they need to be discussed with the family. Unspoken rules are unfair. The honor part of this is a little different. It's a little harder to attain. It's the expression of respect or esteem. It recognizes the importance of someone, and it's expressed by love and devotion to that person. And it's a matter of the heart not a particular action. And genuine honor is expressed by means of common courtesies, and they're often expressed by children by words of appreciation. And a child comes to respect and honor a parent when he recognizes that the parent's behavior has been truly good. Not that it excuses the child to honor parents even if they are not the best. This is addressed to Brother Gary and Sister Darlene, yes. Share some of your family rules and how they contributed to teaching obedience. What consequences or discipline did you use for any acts of disobedience? So the scripture that we're all probably all familiar with is uh, let your yea be yea and your nay nay. In other words, mean what we say. And we found that as when we had our first children as they were growing up, um, we realized we were contradicting that scripture all the time. And it was detrimental to our family. Uh, So basically the way it went is, hey, you know, it's time to get ready for bed. Put your toys away. Time to go upstairs. Totally ignore us. And Okay, now I raise my voice a little bit higher. Time to put your toys away. And eventually it gets to the point where it's, you know, 
uh, at a volume that's inappropriate. <laughs> and uh, we realized that it was our own, act, um, the, our method that was teaching our kids to actually disobey because they learned that dad and mom were not really serious until their tone and volume hit a certain level. At that point, they needed to do it. And so this really came to our attention as we did some uh, training uh, through Focus on the Family for how to raise children. And we're like, oh my goodness, that is our family. Okay, I see. We're the ones that are the problem, not our kids. And so we had to learn to really mean what we say. Give them a warning. Hey, in a few minutes, it's time to go to bed. Please put your toys away. And if they don't obey, they get the consequence. We don't tell them three times, four times, you know, count one, two, three. And they know, they oh, they got some time. And oh, before three, they're going to run and do it. That's not what we wanted to teach them. And so it took a bit of a transition, and I wish I could say that we always are perfect at this now. No, at times we realize they're not obeying anymore, like, uh-oh, we just fell into our old pattern again. Now we sort of got to move back. And it's amazing how it can transform your family and save your sanity as well. Um, we also have to be really careful what we say. If we say, look, if you don't do this, you're going to get you know, a spanking, and they don't do it, and suddenly we realize we're in public in the store. We, we have no way of actually carrying out our con- the consequence. And, and sometimes we realize, oh, why did I say that? Because now I actually have to do it. So, so we have to be really careful, again, mean what we say. Um, something we re- re- learned a number of years ago, actually, in a, in a forum here at camp from Brother Joe and Sister Lori that has worked really well in our family, is we taught them right away, all the way, and in a cheerful way, as, as our sort of obedience motto. And uh, so um, if they don't do it right away, or they don't do it all the way, or properly, or in a cheerful way, we make them do it again. And so, you know, they go and they do something, and say, oh, no, that wasn't right, or they had a sour attitude, they, they right away realize, oh, no, I have to redo this, so they'll try to quickly mend, and it's like, no, 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 go back, and you do it. And usually you don't have to do it once or twice, and they get it. Um, and then we've also learned to allow them to experience the consequences, to not, you know, if they've done something and they know they weren't supposed to do it, rather than saying, see, you shouldn't have done it, and then sort of we become the enemy, we allow them to experience the consequence. And then we console them in that sense. So as an example, we say, you really should take your coat with you. It's cold outside or it's, you know, in, in climate weather. No, no, we don't want it, this and that. Okay, I'm not going to push it. And then suddenly they're shivering away. It's like, oh, we're so sorry you feel cold, you know. And, and, and they're experiencing the consequence. You don't have to tell them the next time that they're going to put, I mean, obviously if it's minus 20 out like it was in the winter, you're not going to allow them to freeze. But, but you know, just the experience a little bit of the, of the consequence of some of their decisions, to not just bail them out right away, um, because you know, it's far better for them to experience the consequences when the consequences are small, rather than you know, they learn, oh, mom and dad are always going to bail us out, and suddenly when the consequence is huge, <laughs> they can't be bailed out. Um, and then something we've also tried to do is establish, establish the consequence ahead of time uh, so that they understand certain things. They can't always do that, but certain things that they understand, if they cross that line, this is the punishment. And, and some of the other families have shared with us, they've sometimes had, as their kids gotten older, to help them participate in coming up with those consequences so it's a shared value or a shared thing in their family. It's not always mom and dad being the authoritarian authoritarian dictator that is going to, uh, you know, come up with these consequences that they don't, that they don't feel are fair. Um, so we tried that with our kids. Our kids are too young for that. As an example, you know, we tried to establish some consequence here and we'll have them participate. And, you know, our daughter says, oh, yeah, if I do this, then, you know, I won't have dessert for six months. And it's like, 
Uh, okay, they always are way on the other extreme of making them far more, uh, uh, far higher consequences that are really just. And so that hasn't yet worked, although I know others have shared that. And so we're looking at the point at what, uh, what age that starts to work a little bit better. Um, but uh, certainly establishing some of the consequences uh, for things that they do um, and telling them has worked uh, quite well for us. I just want to add um, one consequence that I really like to use is uh, writing lines. It's schoolwork. It's their spelling. They're, you know, they're learning and, and they're getting the message in over and over again. It's, that's my favorite. <laughs> and so taking away a privilege for a time is another form of discipline that we've done. Sometimes time away, if, especially if they're at each other's, in each other's hair and the emotions are high, it's time to separate them. They need to go off and sit a while to think about what they've done wrong, how they contributed to the issue, uh, because they always come back and want to tell us what the other person did. It's like, I'm not interested in hearing that. I want to understand what you contributed. And sometimes that, that takes some time to work through those emotions um, to be able to do that. We're really over time. I hope you don't mind. We take just a few more minutes to finish up a couple of these things. Uh, the last point is the fathers who love and lead. And as a husband, they have to view their wife as an equal partner, communicate with, his, with your with wife. The wife will be at the top of their priority list, love your wife unconditionally, commit to discover and meeting the wife's needs, and seek to model spiritual and moral values. Our slides have turned out too dark. Sorry, they reversed the color. An old computer we have. <laughs> as a father, that's to Gary and Darlene, as a father, what contributed most to help you to become the spiritual leader of your family? That's me, and for the sake of time, I'll just be very brief here. Number one, it was modeled to me. Um, I was thankful to grow up in a, a, a godly family. Um, I also learned a lot from uh, focus on the family. Um, I took an early interest in relationships and family matters. I was probably the strangest single guy out there. That was what I'd normally listen to if I went on business trips, etc. Um, and uh, long before I was married. Uh, and uh, also learning from others around. Uh, it was fantastic to get advice, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about our fellowship. We have families in all age groups. And so we're in one age group, and as we're struggling, as we move to the next age group, how do we handle things? We have lots of people that we can ask as, the, as they've modeled it really well in their families. The second part of that same point, it's encouraging wives, those wives who do encourage their husbands and who do submit. In the encouragement part, every wife can be a positive influence in her husband's life. No one responds well to, to constant criticism. You can motivate your husband to growth by focusing on the things he does well and praise him both publicly and privately. Husbands are far more responsive to requests than demands. And the best way to encourage your husband is to make a conscious effort to meet his needs. Learn to communicate in a way that will not strike at his self-esteem. And if there is responsible behavior, you need to confront it, but not in a negative way, but as an act of love, doing it with the right attitude. Thought occurred to me, meet his needs, a good supper really that goes a long way. <laughs> good dinner. <laughs> now Darlene has the opportunity to tell us as a wife and mother, what are some of the ways you encourage your husband and children? Give some examples. Um, I, I tried to say thank you for very common tasks. 
like taking the garbage out or taking your plate. Um, I might be a little bit too thankful, but I find that being too, I, I see the kids are saying thank, thank you a lot too. If they, if they hear it even between ourselves, they'll um, mimic. Um, I do try to verbally affirm the children that they're loved and that they're not just that they did a good job, but that they're precious gifts from God and we, we really love them and God made them special. Um, and sometimes if they're having difficulty with some, whatever it may be, like a, an, um, some, learning something or to encourage them and, and something they're struggling with, I will even make up a song. It's just something small, but something silly, and then somebody's having a difficult time, they'll start to smile and laugh, and then everybody will laugh, and then I'll hear them singing it later on. So something so silly can really encourage like everyone. You can sing it? She gonna sing it? No, I don't no. literally. <laughs> okay. And the last part is the submission part, which is always the difficult one for the wives. Submission is vital in creating a God honoring family. God's plan for the family unit will not work without submission. It's the greatest witness not only to the world and the angels, but also to our children, especially our daughters. Submission is easy if mixed with faith, for then we'll trust God to look after our needs while we step aside and let God work in our husbands' lives to accomplish what we could never do. The last, the last questions go to Brother Mike and Sister Svetlana. <clears throat> As a wife and mother, how do you model submission in your family? Are there any aspects of submission that are still difficult? Explain. Um. I'll just keep it brief. Um, I really had good examples, like Gary had said, that he had as well. And I had a great mom that modeled submission to me. And Mike's mother, she modeled submission. And very godly women in our churches, Sunday school teachers that were um, very submissive. And I took note of that even as a child. Uh, I could say that the thing that has impacted me the most is learning and memorizing Proverbs 31. Um, it's something I do before my day begins. Uh, as soon as I get out of bed, I brush my teeth. Um, I'm verbally saying the Proverbs 31 um, verbally and out loud so that I can hear it, but quiet enough not to wake everybody up. <laughs> and um, it works in two ways. It works as a reprimand for me when I'm not doing what I should be doing. And it also works as a pat on the back because those words ring really clear in my mind. Like just for an example, if I'm going grocery shopping and I'm, I find something that I need, but I know it's on sale like across town, in my thinking, I'm thinking, well, I'll just pick it up and I'll just go. And then the words ring clear to me that, um, I, uh, she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, God, I get it. I'll go get it over there and I'll buy five of them <laughs> and I'll stock up when they're on sale. And um, it also, it, it just, having these words in my mind and in my heart, they're always reminding me of um, what I need to be and where I need to be. It just keeps me balanced, and don't get me wrong, like I don't even pretend to be the Proverbs 31 woman, but the words in my heart and mind do keep me in line. Um, how I've helped 
in our family to model submission is when Mike's home, he's in the driver's seat. Um, I'm home all day with the children, and it, it's kind of a transition when Mike comes home. They're used to coming to me all day long, that even when he's home, they're coming to me. So I need to give them a little nudge and say, well, Dad's the head of our home. He's home now. You can ask Dad. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, and they'll just go to Dad, and then they'll um, talk to Dad about that. Um, so that's how we do submission in our home. Uh, if you wanted to know what the hardest thing to do is um, submitting is when I know he's dead wrong and just keeping my mouth shut, <laughs> just like in front of the kids. And then later on, I'll just tell him, you know, that was, you know, God's word shows us that, that it should be this way. And I really try really hard not to um, tell him in front of the kids. Thank you for all this experiences that you shared. Now, we didn't speak much about our family, and both my wife and I, we are strong characters, and we had to learn many things, and we subscribe what was said uh, this evening. We also filled out a questionnaire about our family and asked our children, even our married boy, to fill it out. And we encourage that each one of you fill out those questionnaires and see where your family stands. It's going to be part of the, of the PDF. It's going to be part of the PDF. So apologize for the overtime. We are not that versed in. If you have any questions or if you want to speak further to any of the things that were mentioned here, I don't think our panel will mind if you approach them anytime, anywhere, and ask them to clarify a few more things. Thank you all for coming. We really appreciate it. And thank you, panel.